0: After 12 years in corporate banking, Michelle Lee gave up her career for a life of adventure. Trekking the 100km Kokoda Trail in 2012 sparked Michelle's love for extreme adventure. Michelle is the first Australian woman to row the Atlantic Ocean. Today, I'm talking with Michelle Lee about her book, Alone. Michelle, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The primary relationships in your life with your mother and father brought radically different things to your life, some good things, some less so. How have these relationships affected the course of your life?
1: Uh, Yeah, look, definitely I look back at my family uh, and growing up and it was not your average household, I'll say that much. You know, Dad was, I'd say, a workaholic, but he absolutely loved what he did. He loved his job. He loved people. He was the life of a party. You know, people gravitated towards my dad, that's for sure. And um, But it was also a house with turmoil and, um, I don't know, lots of bickering, arguing. I don't remember it being warm, nurturing and fuzzy. And, you know, uh, we were read to be up with the crack of dawn and, you know, you don't go to bed until it's dark. You know, like you, it was work hard, don't ever take a sick day. You know, you had to be dying to have a sickie off school and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So we were read on those morals of, you know, everything you have you work for, um, which I'm actually incredibly grateful so you know everything that happened back then it leads you to where you are today and you know you can turn negatives into positives all the time so I just look at the upbringing and think, yeah grew up a little bit harder than you know my friends if I compared my childhood to my friends at school and I'm actually incredibly grateful I do not ever ever hold a victim card and I say thank you thank you for teaching me everything that I learned because it's made me who I am today and to want more.
0: This book is about your crossing of the Atlantic Ocean as a solo rower. Where did that inspiration come from?
1: Uh, I always say be careful what you read because it was from a book. So I was handed a book called Rowing the Atlantic. And, you know, obviously it happened at a time in my life where that kind of adventure really resonated all the idea of the freedom, the adventure, the independence, um, pushing boundaries finding out who you really are. They were all like really appealing Uh, in the book. It was really heavy with that kind of a theme. So, and I'm reading it thinking, oh yeah. And then, you know, every time she triumphed over adversity, you know, everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. So it wasn't this amazing tale of, you know, uh, butterflies and rainbows. It just made me want what she had. And that was the ability to, you know, every time you get knocked down, you get back up and you, At the end, you know, it's triumph. So I was definitely inspired by tapping into untapped potential, knowing that, you know, this is something that can be done. So, you know, it's not like I was making history. Um, And that's all I need to know. I just need to know that something can be done. And then you go and you do it, you know. So I always just think, well, what has she got that I haven't got? You know, she was just an office worker who decided to go and row the Atlantic. I'm, you know, there was a lot of things that I could uh, relate to. She wasn't the Olympian. She wasn't the elite athlete. She wasn't the gold medalist. You know, she wasn't the rower. And yet she was able to go and accomplish this. So I thought, well, if she can, I can. At a time when I was looking for more in my life. So next thing, you know, you obsess so persistently and consistently for two whole years I just sat down one day and I said, if I don't do this, I'm going to die wondering. That was it. I thought, what a waste of my life. (laughs) So next thing, I'm committing to growing the Atlantic.
0: Now, this is a challenge not to be taken lightly. And I guess you were given advice. Uh, What advice were you given? And and did you take that advice?
1: (laughs) Well, if I took the advice that was mostly given, there's no way I would have attempted it. It would have just ended with the thought process full stop um, because many people would, you know, tell you, you're crazy. You'll never get there. Oh my God, it's going to be so hard. You know, you've got to do the sponsorship. You've got to raise the money. You've got to build the boat. You've got to learn to row. you got to, you know, there was all these impossible challenges. Then I got some advice from, I decided I'm just going to ring the, someone who's been there and done that. And that's what you got to do. You've got to speak to someone who's done it. So I did reach out to uh, Andrew Abrahams who had rode the Atlantic uh, a couple of years before and, I just said, where do you start? Like, you know, I'm curious, I'm interested, I definitely want to do it. So he then, you know, showed me the way and, you know, he became my mentor, became became my boat builder, became my partner, he became my coach. So he basically prepped me to a stage uh, to go and row across the Atlantic Ocean. So when it comes to advice, I've learned that you just have to go to the top. You just got to go to the people that have been there and done it. Don't listen to the ones that sit in their lounge chair and they don't do this sort of stuff because they're not going to tell you to go and do it. They imagine themselves. I think this is what happens is they imagine it themselves and then they project their fear onto you, and I'm experiencing that a lot with this row.
0: I'm guessing it's something you don't go in half-baked.
1: No, you spend a lot of time researching, um, you know, and particularly for the Atlantic Ocean row. You know, you actually had to put down... uh, I think it was £800, you had to actually, to even get information, to get the information pack. So they need to know that you are you are absolutely serious and you, you know, because it's a lot of effort to inform people what's required, you know. So I paid my money. That was my first lot of commitment, £800. That was a lot of money to me at the time. Um, and then you get the information pack and you sit on it for a while. And, and you know, the guys at Atlanta Campaigns who run that race, they said, more than 50% of the people who get their pack, the 800-quid pack, they don't even hear from them again. So they obviously get it, read it and go, oh, shit, didn't know I? Oh, my God, you have to do that? Oh, my God. So you're basically dedicating two years of your life in preparation. There's courses that you have to do, um, boxes you've got to tick. I had to build a boat. There were none for sale here in Australia. So I had to build the boat. I had to learn to row. Um, and then, you know, there's all the other little things that you have to learn in, on the way about your nutrition, about recovery, and, you know, you got to build a support crew. And like, it's just it's never-ending. You're just ticking boxes. And I walked around with that manual on how to build the boat and the race rules and regulations. It was like my little Bible. I, I can read it to you off by heart almost now.
0: The first thing people would want to know is about fitness. So how did you prepare in terms of fitness? What level of fitness did you already have? And what was your training regime like?
1: Um, Before I committed to the Atlantic, I had an above-average fitness, and that—that is just for me in my life. That's the highlight of my life. So to get up and go to training at five a.m., that's my highlight. Anyone that knows me will tell you, "Oh yeah, this is Michelle. Just does that for fun, you know." (laughs) And I do. So, um, and I was doing everything: running, riding, swimming, cycling. You know. uh, aerials you know all the stuff where you're hanging from the ceiling from silks and from liras and poops and stuff so i did a lot of different stuff because it's just fun and then when i decided i was going to row the atlantic i had to become very specific with training so i had to give up all those things that i do for fun and then my program it just uh had to include all of the rowing movement patterns. so the strength program the gym-based strength program was just rowing. The actual training was on a rowing machine so I spent seven days a week on that rowing machine there was never a day off uh, every Sunday was an eight-hour row every Monday was a six-hour row and then it undulated um, throughout the week uh, with something different on the back end of it whether it was strength or mobility so you know that was a six-month program that I followed and stuck to and I used that program to A, to learn to row, B, to go and get a world record because I was also trying to prove myself uh, to sponsors and to get some validation and credibility. So in the learning how to row, we made it even more relative by going for the world record. So in that phase, I also became the fastest female to row a million metres on a concept two, which is five and a half days, 14 hours a day. Um, and we took almost 11 hours off that world record, which was held by a German Olympic rower. So that's all part of my story: is the whole you can do anything, you can achieve anything. Doesn't matter, you know, your humble beginnings, as long as you do the work. My story is you, you know, put in the work and you reap the rewards. It's that simple. And if you stick to the program, you can't fail. You honestly, you can't. You know, I love saying that to people. You know, I'm not elite, not an athlete, not an Olympian. I was not a rower, and in fact. When we launched my boat in April 2017, that is the first time that I'd ever put my oars in water. I'd never rode on water before. So it's just having that desire, having that really clear goal, that objective, your why. Be really clear on your why. These are big things. Get really emotionally connected to all of that because you need that when the going gets tough and when you want to quit, when you want to give up, when you're tired, when it's just too hard. Remind yourself of your why. And you're like, oh, no, that's right. I can't.
0: Well, you must have learned about your body and your fitness and your its capacity in that process. But what did you learn about your mental capacity in that process?
1: I always used to wonder, does the mind rule the body or the body rule the mind? And now I absolutely know for certain the mind rules the body because my body was screaming, stop, give up. Everything hurts. Everything's aching. Like, just let's quit. But it was my mind that said, don't you don't you dare so um yeah I learned that it's 90 percent mental it really is um and then also you know just knowing that you have ticked the boxes knowing that you know I, I did everything I had to do to go through the physiological adaptations to become that long distance stamina endurance athlete you know I was more of a sprinter prior but um, I think it's just when you know you've put in the work when you know that you deserve it you've earned your place here on on the podium or on the start blocks it just gives you that it gives you a head start so yeah definitely mental capacity overrides everything else you, you can be so sore you can be broken but you'll finish that race
0: now if I can take you out into the middle of the ocean somewhere the Atlantic Ocean And I guess a lot of people might be thinking the only thing you have to do uh, in a large ocean like that is, well, row. But how far from or close to reality is that assumption?
1: Uh, So, we know, we say it's eat, sleep, row, repeat. And in between that, you've got a lot of maintenance to do. So, you know, you're going over your boat, making sure that, you know, uh, nuts and bolts haven't worked loose because they do, just because of vibration stuff. So you're always just running over them with a spanner, um, making water every day. You know, there's a bit of a process in the setup to making your water. Um, and then there's meal prep. Meal prep is um, tedious. It's laborious. <laughs> it's, everything's confined. You know, you're boiling water at the end of the day. That's all you're doing for your dinners. Um, you're adding hot water to the dehydrated meals. So it doesn't sound that difficult, but it's just incredibly time-consuming and challenging just because of the environment you are in, you know. Uh, you don't run water as freely. Everything's about conservation and preservation. So, you know, when you're washing up, you're trying to do it in this much water, and, you know. When you're having your, your little freshwater wash, you know, you're literally using a 750ml bottle of water, and that's for your whole body. That's to suds yourself up. That's to rinse yourself off from head to toe. So those are the things that are so challenging because we're so used to being so extravagant and indulgent, you know, Um, and they're probably the bigger hardships that uh, rowers that do or, you know, anyone that does ocean crossings, they'll probably all share the same kind of hardships.
0: Food in that context is energy. Um, And I, I guess a lot of people think that somehow fish magically jump on board and present themselves and ask to be eaten. Is that a long, long way from the reality?
1: I hope they actually do <laughs> you, you'd wake up every day and you'd have to clear your deck of at least one fish so the fine fish would somehow inevitably end up on your boat on your deck people have eaten them I did not they're just long and skinny they look like little torpedoes and it actually doesn't look like there's a whole lot of flesh on there so I used to just chuck them overboard um, I did not fish last time because I just couldn't deal with the mental aspect of you know they've got this fish, flap it around and now I've got to kill it. And then, you know, mess everywhere. I just couldn't even fathom that stuff. So this time, however, I have got a fishing rod and I do have a little rod holder on my boat so that I control while I'm rowing, (laughs) but I still haven't had a chance to learn to fish. So over the next few days, I'm going to be YouTubing how to catch a fish or what do I do with it once I've got it at this flapping around stage and, you know, I'm about to pull it on deck? So I'm about to learn by watching YouTube videos on how to fish because it will be really motivating and really um, it'll pick your spirits up. You know, you it'll boost the morale on board to have something fresh. Uh, I've got all the great ingredients, man. I've got some lemon juice. I've got wasabi. I've got soy, um, some beautiful herbs, lots of rice, Imagine a nice, fresh, pan-fried piece of fish over some rice with lemon juice and some herbs.
0: Sounds like a gourmet trip to me.
1: I know. So, yeah, it's going to be very different. This trip is going to be very different. You know, yes, I've got my dehydrated meals. Yes, I've got, you know, tons of um, high-density, high-calorie bars, you know, chocolates and biscuits and all the good stuff, jars of Nutella, jars of peanut butter. But um, it will be nice to actually have some fresh fish.
0: We can go back to the atlantic for a moment i guess you've learnt a lot from the atlantic crossing that you'll apply to the uh, pacific crossing and i wonder in the process in the middle of the ocean you'll have good days you'll have bad days is there some sense of equilibrium perhaps some inner calm that can be achieved there or absolutely not
1: no definitely there is and you You know, there were at least eight days in the Atlantic where there was not a breath of wind, not a ripple on the water, and it was just deathly quiet. And I remember just sitting there going, oh, my God, check this out. It's amazing. It really is. And on those days... You could go into a beautiful Zen state. You could go into a meditative state while you row. You know, I shut my eyes and, you know, it all became so meditative. The sound of the oars and the rollick, just the way, you know, and the oar dropping in the water, um, slapping against the hull. It was, yeah, pretty, pretty incredible. Um, you can't replicate those days. You know what I mean?
0: Is solitude a problem in a situation like that? How, how do you prepare for that or manage that?
1: It can be, and it did become my biggest problem. Um, I did think that sleep deprivation was going to be my biggest challenge, which ended up not being a problem. You can cope on very little for an extended period of time. I've decided, or I've learned. But uh, isolation was another matter, and it was more the acts of human kindness. So being able to make something for somebody, make you a cup of tea, or you make me one. Or um, mm-hmm. human touch—that was also a big one. I'm a massage therapist, so you know, I really missed human touch, human contact. Um, and that whole, you know, doing for others, service. When I came home, I learned that it was uh, my oxytocin levels would have been at an all-time low because that's the love drug. That's the natural hormone that we can boost by touch, by patting a pet, kissing, hugging, touching, serving, giving. That's oxytocin. So I've been told this time to take a toy, you know, and this is what kids do. You give the, your kid a toy and they take it everywhere and if they need comforting, you give them their toy. Well, that's why it works. It boosts that hormone, the feel-good hormone, one of the four, oxytocin.
0: Was there a bad moment, your worst moment out there?
1: I did. I had um, day 46 in my diary was noted as worst day ever. It um, wasn't until like two days later when I realised I was just being a drama queen. It really wasn't that bad, but it was just a whole multitude in combination of, you know, being fatigued, missing people, missing touch, um, things were getting, you know, on my boat, there were things that were going wrong. I was concerned about the state of my rudder. Uh, my foot steering had fallen apart two days before and I had to glue it back together. And then you just start, you know, you can easily let yourself get in this downward spiral of negative talk. There I am at the end of the day riding my worst day ever, and then for two days later, I still felt so rocked and so shattered by it. And I'm thinking, this is not normal, man, because I'd already rationalized that it wasn't actually that bad. You know, you were just being a drama when You just needed a good sleep. You needed to take something for your toothache and blah, blah, blah. So then I realized, oh my gosh, I saw it in writing two days later, worst day ever with exclamation marks. And that's when I realized how powerful the vibration of words are, whether you speak them or you write them. So now that diary entry, I've sat there and scribbled out ever and completely felt better, straight away. immediate. It was like, wow. So, you know, these are the things that you learn when you're out there and when you strip yourself bare and you remove all of life's distractions, these are the sorts of things that you learn. And, you know, they come back as life lessons that you'll never forget.
0: Don't let perfection get in the way of progress, you say. How did you then and how do you now apply that to the challenges you've undertaken you're about to undertake and to life in general?
1: Yes, yeah, about just accepting and surrendering to all the things that you cannot control. And that actually came to me from another adventurer um, when I was in the you know I was in the pointy end of preparing for the Atlantic Ocean and there were so many things still left to do the to-do list was massive and I've got people telling me all oh, this, you should have this, why haven't you done that? Oh my God, Michelle, you never make it. And- It was just loud and clustered with all this negativity and the naysayers were really coming out because again it's them projecting their fear on you I didn't realize that at the time so I just rang an adventurer I rang Justin Jones who's been there done that he kayaked across the ditch and he's you know done lots of adventure across the ice and across Australia and I just said to him man I, I don't know what to do now I'm so close but I feel so far there's so much negativity and he said I'll tell you what to do Michelle first of all he said don't let perfection get in the way of your progress. So he said things aren't ever going to be perfect. He said make your two list, all of the things that you want. Call it your wanta list, you know? Everything that in a perfect world I'd have this 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 this. He said now make your essential life-saving non-negotiable list. He said they're going to look very different. I'm like, yeah, they yeah in my head you're right, this one's not as daunting to look at as this one, my wanta. He said, now just chuck that wanta list away. And now just focus on that. He said, because you're never going to get to the end of this and that will stop you. It will sabotage you getting to the start line. So he said, get rid of it, turn your ears off, start creating a filter with whom you listen to from here on in and you just do this list. I'm like, oh, my God. It was the most refreshing thing that I ever heard and now I use that for everything now. Uh, And I just accept and surrender that we don't, you know, none, none of my prep this time has been perfect. But you just keep moving on. You know, it's okay. We'll get back to it. You know, things will change when things change or, you know, and you just work around it. So, yeah.
0: Would it be safe to say that uh, there's no turning back for Michelle Lee?
1: No. Oh, goodness, no. We're just starting. We're just getting warmed up. (laughs) It's addictive. It's absolutely addictive. Um, That's probably another warning. Every time you achieve something like this, you're looking for the what next. I can't imagine finishing the Pacific and saying, oh, that's it, I'm done. I'm already planning other stuff. You know, the Pacific was actually, well, the seed was planted on day 34 in the Atlantic Ocean. I was sitting there wondering, what should I have for dinner? I've got the GoPro. Wondering, should I have the green curry chicken or should I have the beef and black bean? And well, next time, when I the Pacific, I say, this was on day 34. So I planted that seed way back. Again, vibrational word, the, you know, it's it's got a massive impact subconscious mind all these things you know so yeah no there's plenty more
0: michelle lee good luck on your pacific adventure and thank you for joining me on the good reading podcast
1: it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: i've been talking to michelle lee about her book alone it's published by wilkinson and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au my name greg dobbs and thanks for listening Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.